Good evening, everybody. Glad to see everybody's here. Hope you all had a great and memory-filled Thanksgiving. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. There's going to be a lot of, of scripture reading. Um, we're going to be talking about beware the false prophet. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 28. So this is the reading of God's word. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tr tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the flood came, the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall But when the found, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great fall. And when Jesus finished these teachings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. Okay, so this passage, it brings the Sermon on the Mount to a close. So Jesus, he, he gave an invitation to respond to his teachings by telling the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. So you have the scribes, and they asked Jesus, what, by what authority do you teach? What authority do you have to teach? Like, where, where is all this coming from? And the same question is really being asked of us. On what authority are you building your life? That fact will determine if you'll be able to, to survive the storm that comes our way. That storm called life. So we have to commit ourselves on building on the words of Jesus and nothing else. Now there is a, a, a theological theme in these verses. If you look carefully, the final verses in the Sermon on the Mount have to do with the sufficiency of God's word in the life of the believer. So that is the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. And, and it has implications for Christians in their ability to discern false teaching from true teaching. As well as their sanctification and preservation in the faith. So this is where we see. We see that Paul told the, of the, the church in Colossians, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 This is basically the statement summary of Jesus' final teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Christians feed on the Word of God, on the Word of Christ. You know, they built their lives on it, and they, they, they build their lives on it, and they bet their lives on it. You know, Christians who, who take the Word of Christ seriously are, are likewise serious about getting the gospel to people to every tribe, nation, and tongue. So not only were Jesus' final words before his ascension dripping in in mission focus, but his final revelation to John featured a glorious worship scene 
in which people from all the families of the earth are blessed and, and, and have the blessing of God. Those who built their lives on the rock of Jesus' teaching do so with the gospel on their lips and their feet ready to cross borders, streets, and cultures. This is how you know. And since we're human, we can't really understand or read the heart of someone. So what are some ways that we actually try to determine what's on the inside of a person? What, what do we look for when we try to, to, to discern the motivation and the condition of someone's heart? Most of the time, we will look at the person's words, their actions, their emotional expressions at the moment, and, and we'll make an assessment. Like we will do that. There's, there's two problems with this approach, though. The first is that a person's immediate response and emotional expression to something doesn't necessarily tell you about their long-term condition. There's a good example of this. Like, like you may feel compassion and mercy towards a homeless person on the side of the road. You may even give them some spare change. However, it is, it is it's doubtful that you will actually go and sell your home. <laughs> that you will go and you will sell your home and give him the money for it. This same principle holds true to the spiritual condition. Okay, Thomas, Thomas Minton said it like this. We do not judge men's complexions by the color they have when they sit, on the set before the fire. Just also we cannot judge of a man by the emotions in which he, he heard under the influence of a compelling sermon. What he's saying is like you, you can't really judge someone's heart just because they had an emotional response during church. Because the emotional response during church really doesn't tell you anything. They could be seeking out attention. They could be doing you know, a plethora of, of different things during a worship service. It, an emotional response doesn't tell you something like, who are they when no one's watching? Like, what's their true character? The second problem has to do with our standard of judgment. You know, we need a, a measuring stick to hold up against a person's life to discern their true inner condition. Sadly, what, what tends to grab our attention is uh, sensational uh, expressions of, of what we deem as super spirituality. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritual. If you don't prophesy, you're not spiritual. If, if, if you don't do this, you're not spiritual. We judge on the outer. <laughs> Jesus refers to prophecy, exorcism, and and, and miracles in this passage, and he calls his disciples to be careful not to be fooled by someone who claims to be of Christ and uses this sort of evidence as proof. Because it's not proof at all. So when we think about it, what should our measuring stick be? Jesus. Jesus is our measuring stick. Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with a call to obey his words, God's words. Those that are blessed are those on the, on the narrow road. And, and the ones on the narrow road are the ones who hear and obey the words of God. Obedience to the word of God is the good fruit that is produced by those who know and love God. While other fruit may seem tempting, chasing after, after gifts, miracles, signs, and wonders, it might be tempting might be tempting to do all these things 
but they can be smoke screens and snares sent by the devil to lead the, Christ the Christian from the narrow way. So what do we do? First, we have to be on guard. Be on guard. Uh, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So the Sermon on the Mount up until this point has been a, a blueprint for souls that have been given a new life in Christ. Jesus' teachings has served to encourage and instruct the saved as well as to expose and convict the lost. So now in, the, in these final verses, Jesus sums up his teaching in one, one command, like one overarching command. It says it comes in the form of a parable. But before we get to this critical, this, this critical lesson, we need to understand the runway leading up to it and, and, and how two parts fit together. What, what's, the, what's the command in, in verse 15? Be aware. Jesus tells his disciples to be on guard. It's interesting that he didn't say to be on guard against the influence of the world, the temptations of the flesh, or the snares of the devil. Jesus tells them to watch out for false prophets. He explained that there would be that, that, that they would come in, in sheep's clothing, okay? But are actually they're they're, they're violent, they're dangerous. They they're, they have no no desire for for unity, and they're dangerous wolves. What's so bad about this is is what's so bad is how this this threat followers of Christ like there is a, a, a real threat when it comes to false prophets and false teachers coming into the church like there's a threat there the problem with false teachers is that they often have the appearance of true teachers of true believers there is a little bit of truth sprinkled in there they use deception to gain the trust and infiltrate fellowship in order to spread their teaching and lead sheep off off of the difficult road that leads to the narrow gate and the danger is great. We're talking about a, a Trojan horse full of soldiers bent on the, the destruction of the church. In Kenya, dairy farmers will add water to, to the milk to keep their levels up, which keeps their income up. The more milk they have, the more money they have. These false teachers are a lot like these dairy farmers who do this. Except they don't add water, they add poison. Because false doctrine, false teaching, that's all it is. It's poison to you. They present something that they claim is nourishing and appears to be nourishing, but really it kills your soul. Jesus' warning wasn't unfounded. Very soon after the gospel spread into the Gentile world of Jerusalem, the very problem arose. Paul addresses it in, in, in a letter to the Galatian church. This was also what Jesus had against the churches of Paragam and Thyresia. Paul had traveled to Galatia to share the gospel, and it was a different culture than Israel, but the gospel found fertile soil there, and many people came to Christ, and, and, and churches were formed. After Paul left, another group of so-called Christians came in and began to teach their churches that in order to be saved, you had to, <coughs> this is where it gets weird, they had to place their faith in Jesus and follow the law of Moses. And many believers accepted that false teaching, and Paul was, was 
distraught. He was mad. He was angry, righteously, due to this turn of events. So Jesus was equally concerned with what was happening in the churches because the souls were at stake. Souls are still at stake. Just like it was then, it is now. Just like there was false teachers and false prophets then, there is now. Many churches across the United States and the world today have been infiltrated by false teachers. This is the critical problem today, and it has to be addressed. But the church has a problem with addressing things that need to be addressed. That's why this passage is so very important, and it is really relevant to today. What should Christians do in light of this command? Be on guard. Be aware. Christians must be on their guard against wolves and, and, and be careful not to let their guards down. But this teaching sounds good. This teaching tells me that Jesus loves me. This, this teaching tells me that, that he wants the best for me, that he wants me rich, he wants me healthy. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell you that. In fact, the complete opposite is said. He said, look, this, this is going to be a rough road. People are going to hate you. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to put you in prison. This is not an easy life. I need you to pick up your cross daily. I need you to follow me. I need you to count the cost. Because this is not easy. It's not an easy life. It is not easy. Now, some of the, the false teachings and the false doctrines that are coming into the church now make it sound like it's easy. But it's not. We have to be careful not to accept any and all teachings that come that we come in contact with. You know, they, they should be tested. All teachings should be tested and, and exposed before trusting it. Here's the thing. In order to do that, people actually have to bring their Bibles to church and follow along and read. Because if you don't, I can make this Bible say whatever I want it to say, and you won't even know. We have to be diligent to test all teachings. Test me. Fact check me with the Bible. I hope you do. Because if I get something wrong, I want to know. Christians should get their primary nourishment from, from pastors and teachers in the local assembly and their personal times of Bible study. So you got to ask yourself, have I ever heard a false teaching? What, what, where was I at? Like, Was I in a church? Or how did I respond? And how... Have I ever been fooled by a false teaching? And then you really got to ask yourself, what made it appealing to you? What made that sound so good to you? Point number two, we have to watch the fruit. Matthew 7, verses 16 through 23. says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The early church 
faced two primary threats. The first was persecution from without. These attacks only, only served to strengthen the church and to spread the gospel. The second attack was from false teachings from within the church. This, this threat was probably more dangerous and effective, and it still is today. The fundamental issue to consider in light of this threat is how a Christian can discern between a false and faithful teaching. <laughs> Here's the thing. Everybody's like, oh, we're being persecuted. We hate this. Why, what, we, we don't want to go through this. Why is this happening to us? Why, why are we facing backlash for this? Why is Christianity under attack? Here's what people don't really understand. And if you would read your Bible, you would understand this pretty clearly because every time the church faced persecution, every time something bad happened, the church exploded with growth. Persecution and attack is a good thing when it comes to the church. According to Christ, how, how can we discern, how, how can we spot those, those false teachers? Verse 16 says, you, Jesus said that you will recognize them by their fruit. Christians can determine truth from lies by looking closely at the product that they produce. Okay? So consider how, how to tell fake among products with, with what you're familiar with. There's an abundance of, of counterfeits and different products in the world. There's always a knockoff brand. Right? There's, there's always the knockoff brand. There's always the store version. You know, we have to be name brand. We're not a knockoff. We're not an imitation. Like we are, we are, we are to reflect Christ and His characteristics and, and His fruit and His love and His compassion and His joy, His His sound righteous judgment. This is what we are supposed to reflect. We don't see them. We don't see these these uh, knockoffs a, a whole lot in the United States. But if you have spent time in at a flea market or, or anywhere else in the world, if, you see, if you've traveled or, or seen any, anything else in the world, you know that there's knockoffs, that they're, they're counterfeit. So they're not really the real thing. These aren't the genuine product. They're fakes. The, the quality isn't there. The craftsmanship doesn't compare. These are not authorized products. They're just a poor copy of the real thing. And if they're examined closely, the fruit doesn't hold up. It's one thing to get fooled on a pair of Nikes, but it's another thing entirely to, to take the bait of a false message of salvation. So what do we do, or, or what do we have at our disposal that we can measure fruit? How, how can we know if something is fake or if it's genuine? If Christians were left to their own wisdom and discernment, we would be in trouble because we are easily deceived. Don't believe me? Ask Eve. Ask Adam. Like we are really easy to be deceived. That, that's why Jesus gave us this warning. He knew Christians were going to struggle to stay on this narrow path. He said we were going to struggle to stay on the path of heaven. And thankfully, Christians aren't left to our own wisdom as we seek to discern false, false prophets from true prophets. Jesus explains that just because someone comes in, in into the church and claims the name of Christ and does these sensational things, 
in, in front of them. It does not mean that they're faithful teachers. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Verse 21. The way to judge a teacher is to look closely at his doctrine and his life and measure it against the will of God the Father. But what, what, what that means for Christians is that we must compare the life and doctrine of the teacher with Scripture. If the life and the teaching of the teacher does not match up with what God has spoken in his word, they are false. Deuteronomy actually puts it this way, that if, if someone has a prophecy and it does not come to pass, they are automatically no good and they should be killed and they are not of God. Imagine if we still had that standard of purity when it came to the scriptures and to the church. This implies, however, in order to discern this, this implies that the Christian knows scripture. Because if you don't know scripture, you don't have anything to measure with. You don't have anything to compare it to. Christians should be careful not to be swept up with the excitement of, of prophecies and exorcisms and healings and miracles. It's clear from this passage that those things should not be sought after or, or looted. See, rather, Christians should hold a, in high esteem the biblical fruit of doing the will of God. Not these miracle signs and wonders, but actually obeying the word of God. And if you happen to be unsure about what God's will is, then go back to and, and reread the Sermon on the Mount. That would probably be a really good place to start. The Sermon on the Mount, maybe the book of John. Christians should never accept, and this is a big one too, we should never accept false teaching, and we should also not have any fellowship with false teachers because they are ravenous wolves that should be exposed by what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're teaching, and they should be avoided. But you have to ask yourself, are you actually examining the fruit, the doctrine, and the life of, of teachers that you listen to and follow? How do, how do they actually measure up against the word of God is what they're teaching and what they're preaching in scripture is it twisted scripture or are they preaching and teaching the truth of the, of the gospel third point is that we have to build on God's word that's the, probably the best foundation that we could probably ever have is the word of God check out Matthew chapter 7 verses 20 4 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do and, and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the flood came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And a great and great was its fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. You see this command to be on guard and Jesus' explanation of how to actually discern from faithful teachers. It, it, it all comes together with a parable that we should be able to understand as a, as a controlling thing for, for, for the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> So in other words, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders 
serves as a over overarching theme that that all of the teachings in the sermon that that, that pretty much hold it all, all together. So what is the theme of, of the parable of the wise and the foolish builder? The theme is that Christians should cling to Christ by clinging to his word. So the Christian is is a pilgrim and he's making his way towards a celestial city. Like we are just we're here on this earth for just a moment. Then 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 we go to the kingdom. Then the kingdom's going to come back to earth. But we'll get back to, we'll we'll get into that stuff later. Uh <laughs> We should be clinging to his word. He went down a difficult road. We're going to go down the difficult road. Like Again, this life is not easy. You know, the, the road is difficult because it is, it is fraught with, with dangers, with temptations, with deceptions. The wise and the prudent Christian will be, will be uh, aware. They'll, they'll be able to see and they'll be able to heed God's word. You know, he, he will cling to his Savior. He will cling to Christ, and he will cherish every word that he has said. This parable has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might not see it right off the bat, but it has everything to do with it. How? The gospel power puts Christians on, uh, on the narrow way. That is justification. The gospel power keeps them on the narrow way. That's preservation. Gospel power transforms a Christian along the way. That's sanctification. And gospel power produces faith in Christians towards the word of Christ and causes them to cherish it and cling to it. And in cherishing and clinging to it, the faithful Christian finds safety and comfort for his soul. That's how we do this. Go with me to John. The book of John. Right after Luke. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the and Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does he say about his word? If you abide in my word, meaning if you stay in my word, if you study my word, if you apply my word, you'll know the truth and you will be free. Christians need to be free, but this freedom is only found in knowing the truth. Rather, truth is found in, in its purest form in the word of God. That is truth. Christians need to develop the discipline of telling themselves the truth. Not, not the lies of the world or of the devil. They have to diligently work to block out these false messages of deception from the media, from friends, from false teachers, from false prophets. This can only be done if Christians play offense through reading, memorizing, studying, and meditating on the words of God. You have to know your Bible. You have to know the word of God in order to not fall into the deception of a false teacher. You have to know this stuff. Christians should set aside a time each day to read Scripture. Start your day with it. If you have to, wake up 30 minutes or an hour earlier than you usually do so you can actually spend time in God's Word. We have to develop this. Christians have to develop this discipline. 
uh, of telling themselves the truth, not the lies of the world. And how, how are we going to hear the truth? By reading his word. They have, we have to read this so prayerfully and so humbly with thanksgiving and repentance, and we have to receive the, the truth of God's word with joy and live in accordance with it. I hear it all the time. Well, I, I don't like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel this actually good. God does not care about your feelings. God does not care what you think about his word. The only thing God cares about is you're going to read it, accept it, and believe it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to you. It does not matter if you feel that that's not right. It does not matter what you think. It is what God has said. It does not matter if you went to church all your life and you, you heard that you were the hero of the story because you're not. You're the villain. You are not the hero of the Bible. The Bible is not about you. It's about Jesus. You have to receive the truth of God's word with joy and you have to live by it. God's word is a lamp for the Christian's feet and a light for their path. You know, followers of Christ need something to guide them, and when they tell themselves that the, that, that the truth of God's word, then they will have a compass to go by. Like the word of God is our compass. It is our north star. That's how we get our guidance and our direction. It, it, it's a torch that leads to the deepest valleys and the darkest forest. No matter what comes our way in this life, God's word is sufficient to guide us and make us complete. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to read verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's what you've got to ask yourself, because this isn't a question that you answer to me. Do you cling to Christ by clinging to his word? What do I mean by that? Have you been saved for 30 years, but you still don't, you're, but you're still on spiritual milk? Do you get offended or convicted when, when meat is thrown out there? When true preaching is thrown out there, can you handle conviction? Can you discern what is a false message and what is a true message? Do you cling to his word? Do you have the habit and the commitment to show your love and your esteem for the scriptures? We learn critical truths in, in this passage right here. Just a closing just a few closing statements from, from the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much truth revealed, and God has provided his word for Christians. And his word contains his will that Christians should submit to with joy. If you're doing anything in the Christian life out of compulsion or because you think you have to, you have not met Jesus. You're doing it out of, out of religious tradition because you think you have to. His word contains his will. So we see here that God will tell some to depart from him because he never knew them. Right? So we also see that just because someone claims to be spiritual because of their signs and their wonders doesn't mean that they are spiritual. In fact, these things are used to deceive people into following false teaching. Have you ever seen, some, have you ever seen those videos of, of 
of the leg growing on the sidewalk, but really all they're doing is pulling the leg back into alignment with the other one, and there's really nothing wrong with them to begin with. Like it, all these signs and wonders and miracles, that's what they used to follow the false teachings. Christians must be on their guard against false teachers by testing all teaching by the standard of Scripture. And as Christians, as believers, we should be clinging to God's Word. That we should cherish and that we should treasure the Scriptures. Because not, I don't think y'all realize this, but in some countries, this, just this book right here, just the Word of God right here, will get you killed or imprisoned. And yet we have the freedom to read it, preach it, teach it, declare it, share it, all over this nation. So we should be clinging to God's word with thank thankfulness that we actually have it. We should cherish and treasure these scriptures. We should read and practice, practice them with, with great zeal, with great joy, and high esteem for, for the scriptures. So in closing, we learn critical truths here. Christians should do these things. We have, we, have to, we have to ask ourselves, what safeguards do we have for ourselves and for our family to wean us off or, or, or to protect us from the, these, these dangerous and false teachings? <coughs> Are there any... <laughs> this is going to be a hard one for some of y'all. Is there any false teachers that you're listening to right now that you really need to stop listening to? Now, if you think I'm a false teacher, you know, back me up with Scripture, right? Like, pro prove it to me with Scripture. But all these Internet preachers that you're listening to, all these preachers that are on TV, all these social media prophets and pastors and teachers and all that, who are you? You have to be really careful about who you're listening to. You have to be really careful about what you're putting in. What is the best way to discern between a false teacher and a faithful teacher? One, the regard for Scripture. Are they actually preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word, or are they twisting it and manipulating it? Taking things out of context. Making the Bible say things that it doesn't even say. Asking questions that the Bible doesn't even ask. Or trying to answer questions that the Bible doesn't even ask. Then you really have to ask yourself, are you a Christian who loves the Bible? Who loves the Word of God? So, Father, I pray for discernment for everybody. Father, I pray that you will help us to discern the faults from the truth. Father, I pray that you will just grant us the wisdom in our life as, as we consider what teachings that we allow to have influence in our beliefs. Father, I pray that you would just guide and direct us. Let your word be a light to our feet. Father, we pray for, for a love of your word, Lord, and that we would help you and, and, and that you will help us in, in reading it and believing it and obeying it. Father, we, I pray that, that you will show us grace, that we'll cling to Christ by clinging to his word. And it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.